Hello, I'm Victor Tabala and this is Expert Voice, Eagle Natural Health's podcast and your partner in natural health well-being. Joining us on the line today from Perth is Dr. Joe Kosterich, also known as Dr. Joe. Dr. Joe is an integrative GP, speaker, author, media presenter and health industry consultant. He is passionate about combining Western and complementary medicines to help his patients achieve the best health possible, including focusing on the foods we choose to eat, our decision to be active, to get adequate sleep and to manage our stress. And I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Joe to today's podcast. Dr. Joe, thank you very much for your time today and welcome to Expert Voice. Thank you, Victor, and uh, lovely to be with you and uh, all the listeners. So today, Doc, we're going to be talking about modern lifestyles, diet and exercise, and the ways that we can achieve and maintain good health. Also, other areas such as healthy lifestyle and just to generally help with everyday well-being and maybe even improve the quality of one's life. So with that in mind, let's start with our first question, Dr. Joe. And I mentioned in my introduction that you are an integrative GP. So could I start by asking you, and for the benefit of our broader audience, what exactly is an integrative GP? Yeah, look, it's a good question. And, and unfortunately, it is one of these jargon terms that does mean lots of different things to lots of different people. Um, but essentially, I suppose, in the broader sense, it means a, a GP or a doctor, it doesn't have to be a GP, there are specialists as well, who will look at a variety of different ways of, of helping their patients. Now, immediately, there's going to be a lot of doctors out there who say, look, you know, I do that too, and everybody does that. But more specifically, sort of says, yes, we can use pharmaceuticals, and there certainly is a, is a role for them, uh, for people, for example, if they have you know, very high blood pressure or they may have asthma, or again, the list is a long one. But it's not always the case that we have to be reaching for the prescription pad first or that pharmaceuticals are necessarily the best and certainly not the only way to go. So in simplest terms, an integrative doctor may well say, well, let's look at your lifestyle. Uh, let's also look at things like diet, stress management, sleep. Is there a role for supplements? Um, you know, there are a whole range of things in addition to what Western medicine has to offer that can also be looked at and, and recommended. And probably where, if, if one uses the term integrative doctor, it might come in that those considerations might come first or be a little bit more foremost in the, uh, in the thinking. But it's a term that is probably used by a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the beauty, I guess, of integrative medicine, isn't it? Where you have such a, a vast array of, of options for your patients in terms of treatment. And like you said before, it may not just necessarily be about the medication. It could also be just a simple change in diets or the addition of exercise, for example, or perhaps even a supplement where we're not able to achieve any sort of nutritional level through our diet. So I love the fact that as an integrated GP, that you incorporate everything when it comes to health and well-being, especially um, this holistic approach of incorporating not just the medications, but also the dietary, uh, the dietary aspects and the lifestyle factors as well. So, on that note, um, my my next question to you, Dr. Joe, is: Could you share with us your thoughts on the main challenges that Australians face in achieving and maintaining good health? Yeah, look, Victor, we have seen over the last probably 100 years and even maybe more than the last 50 years, real changes in the uh, disease patterns that are predominant. 
Uh, once upon a time, you know, infectious diseases was at the top. People died of conditions like pneumonia and tuberculosis. Um, it's not to say people don't die of infectious diseases today, but it is far, far rarer. What we have now in Australia, and we're in common with other Western countries, is something in the order of 75% of the disease burden are lifestyle-related conditions. So we're talking about high blood pressure, we're talking about type 2 diabetes, we're talking about heart disease, um, stroke, and even some forms of cancer. Now, immediately people will say, well, surely it's more complicated than just lifestyle, and it's fair to say that there are genetic factors, and look, sometimes there is still that thing just called bad luck. You can do everything right and there's never yeah. any guarantees in life. But what we do know is that the, the vast majority of the disease burden that we face with chronic illnesses have a very, very significant lifestyle uh, component. But, and, and this gets back to what we were talking about before as, as in an integrative approach, despite 75% being from lifestyle causes, most of what we offer are pharmaceuticals. And it's certainly there is a role for them and it's not wrong, but what we sometimes ignore is that if lifestyle issues have contributed to these illnesses, then perhaps we should be looking more seriously at how can we improve and or change lifestyles. So I suppose the, the, the biggest issues in, in Australia are related to diet and notwithstanding that very few people, and, and yes, there are some, but very few people go hungry. I think when we look around, we can see that you know maybe a lot of people are eating a bit more than what they need and in particular mm -hmm. they may be getting more calories without the nutrition so in a very strange sense people have a lot of calories but they don't always have a lot of nutrition so they might be deficient in vitamins or minerals notwithstanding they they may be carrying excess kilos stress is a big factor facing this society um, and coupled with that not getting enough sleep or lack of sleep and uh, look we're not perhaps as sedentary as is claimed, but you know, a lot of us maybe not moving quite as much as we could. Thanks for that, Dr. Joe. And you've mentioned quite a few different areas that I guess everyone can look at when it comes to health and well-being. When we're talking about areas such as sleep, for example, I mean, who would have thought that something like sleep could be such a you know, an integral part in one's general health and well-being, especially in this day and age where a lot of people aren't getting enough sleep due to, to many reasons. So adding sleep to that aspect of health and well-being you know, plays such a crucial role, along with all the other factors you mentioned before, such as stress and also um, obviously the diets and lifestyle side of things. So with that in mind, you've got... And, and these things are a bit connected, uh, Victor, yeah. in that if we don't sleep well, that increases our stress levels. If we're a bit more stressed, we may well choose to go and eat foods that are higher in sugar. So these things are separate, but they also are a little bit connected. Mm -hmm. So this is, of course, leading up to my next question about some of the root causes of disease. Now, this is, of course, a, a, an area that more and more people, uh, I guess, becoming more understanding about, like in regards to looking for the root causes of what ails them or what ails that particular individual. And you can, I guess you could say more and more people are out there trying to look for the truth. In particular, there's some areas here which I want to bring up with you, areas such as ageing, uh, inflammation, oxidative stress, and also immune dysfunction. And so I just want to get your thoughts on some of those areas there, Dr. Joe. What's called slow inflammation 
is an area where a lot of research focus is going. Now, inflammation is useful. If you cut yourself, you need the body to produce an inflammatory reaction because that will stop the bleeding and, and help it heal up. Equally, if you get a virus, you want an inflammatory reaction because you want to get rid of the virus. Mm -hmm. That's quick inflammation. Slow inflammation is thought to be a factor in heart disease and stroke, and there are some theories around its, its potential role in, in cancer. What it's really saying is that if we go into this very slow burn with chronic inflammation, then what is useful in the short term can become counterproductive long term. And this in turn does feed back into, into our diet. So if we're putting foods into our body, which are a bit more we call pro-inflammatory, so higher in sugar in particular, as against um, perhaps more vegetables and uh, you know, some, some lower carb types of foods. If our stress levels are high, then we can be in permanent fight or flight. And you quite correctly said that in, in the old days, in inverted commas, most threats were physical. So you needed the blood flow to the muscles, you needed your blood pressure up, you needed the energy to either fight the enemy or run away. Today, there really isn't a physical response to most of the stresses we face. Um, you can't really uh, run away from your power bills. You can't really uh, run away from, from love to stresses <laughs> or you know, problems at, at work. Yes. So yeah. the body oh, reacts the same, but the, the solution isn't the same. So this is where, again, what can be useful in the short term can become counterproductive long term. Uh, so these are all contributors to, you know, to chronic, uh, chronic disease. Aging, obviously, is something we're all going to get older and that's unavoidable. But we do know that different people age in different ways. And a bit like cars, those that are better maintained tend to, uh, to do better after 30 or 40 or 50 years than, than ones that aren't. Same with the human body. If we're looking after it better, it's more likely that we will age you know, age well. And, and people are not necessarily so much afraid of dying per se. That is an inevitable. What they're concerned about is loss of function and facility. So the better we maintain our bodies, um, aging is not something we have to be absolutely fearful of. And once more, with, with our immune systems, if we're not putting in the right nutrients and we're not tending our immune system, of course, we're going to be more susceptible to, uh, to illnesses. But autoimmune conditions, and, and this is a massive topic, so we can't really talk about it in any detail today, Victor, but we yeah. know that the rise of, of autoimmune conditions and allergic problems uh, probably also relate a little bit to our modern lifestyles. I think your point you raised before about ageing, Dr. Joe, is something that is quite uh, interesting, given the fact that uh, there's so many people, uh, well, we have a lot of people you know, in our population now that is ageing, but you see that there are certain groups that are ageing well and those that aren't. You know, you have groups that are ageing well in terms of they still got their faculties in terms of their memory and concentration and memory recall and so forth, whereas you have some others, other individuals who aren't necessarily strong in those particular areas as well and so you know it can vary from individual to individual and again going back to what we're looking at when it comes to general health and well-being are these individuals who are susceptible to these types of neurodegenerative type conditions uh, are they looking after themselves with the right diet and the right lifestyle and the other important factors such as keeping their uh, their mind active by solving puzzles and and those sorts of activities that have been proven to to help slow the, the aging process and it goes back to I guess you know probably when you and I were kids looking back at those times when you know our parents would have said to us look you know eat your fruits and veggies or make sure you keep yourself nice and healthy by getting some exercise um, or you know go to bed at nine o'clock 
I want you to sleep for eight hours or so forth. You sort of think back to those times where, you know, it was simpler times. And yet you think simple yet fundamental now these sorts of areas that you think, okay, well, you know, if we just merely implemented some of these factors into our daily routine, then perhaps it can play a definitive role or a, um, a, a, a massive role when it comes to overall health and well-being and maybe just maybe targeting some of these areas such as inflammation and immune dysfunction and the aging process that we spoke about before. So um, again, just a, a fascinating area, but not just fascinating, but relatively you know, easy to apply. And speaking of diets, Dr. Joe, what are the most common vitamin and mineral deficiencies that you come across and how do these affect us? The commonest is going to be iron deficiency, and that's particularly for women in the reproductive years, and that's because uh, necessarily each month there is some loss of, uh, of blood with the menstrual cycle, and that include that will take some iron with it. And it's estimated that up to one in five or maybe one in four women may suffer from this. And the, the, the typical symptom is tiredness, although sometimes it's this really very, very slow reduction and people just get used to being just that little bit more tired and don't even necessarily think mm. that something is wrong until you know, the test is, uh, is done. Yeah. Vitamin B12 deficiency is something else we see and we may see more of it over time. Um, people, if they are on a vegan diet, which obviously is, is something they can do, <laughs> but unless they supplement with, with vitamin B12 and even the vegan websites will advise people to do this, if mm -hmm. uh, they will become deficient in vitamin B12 because it will only come from animal products. Um, folate deficiency probably not as common as it was and that's because they have put some additional folate into some foods it creates a separate set of problems perhaps if we're eating too much um, bread <laughs> and there are the, the the subtle ones such as vitamin d deficiency where we're not really absolutely sure what is the right amount and the right amount for different times of year it's estimated that 30 to 40 percent of australians are deficient in vitamin d and that's partly uh, because we're avoiding the sun and we obviously do not want to get burned but avoiding the sun entirely is uh, you know a separate problem uh, people argue absolutely. about figures and then the other ones that are not necessarily true deficiency states, but often you find people do quite well if you give them a little bit extra, is magnesium, zinc, and vitamin C. So it's fairly rare on blood tests to see deficiency. But people who, who exercise quite a bit will often find they get muscle soreness. And even though their blood levels of magnesium may be okay, a magnesium supplement may assist them. Other people, particularly in winter, uh, zinc and vitamin C may be helpful for the immune system, even if they are not technically deficient, which raises the next issue, which again is almost a podcast in itself, Victor, about <laughs> optimal versus um, sort of recommended daily intake. The recommended daily intake yeah. of all our vitamins and minerals is to stop us being deficient. That's great. We, we don't want to be deficient. That's a different amount to saying, well, what is the optimal amount for human beings? And we don't necessarily know that. And we certainly don't know what is the optimal amount for human beings according to their particular circumstances. So that's a um, very important thing to note uh, in regards to the actual RDAs, because that's the main issue that we see when it comes to comparing nutrients and how much are we actually trying to achieve. And you're right, like a lot of the nutrients that are out there when it comes to RDA, uh, from my understanding, is just enough to to help you survive, basically, to help you live, um, to meet the the minimum standards. 
Yet, when you're dealing with conditions, particularly when it comes to chronic diseases, and particularly you mentioned before, immune dysregulation and the needs for zinc and, and vitamin C and so forth, and when it comes to blood loss with iron, you do need that higher level of those particular nutrients to, in order to help reestablish those levels in the body and to drive the body further or better into, uh, into that category or that area of general health and well-being and, and hopefully, uh, possibly, disease prevention uh, as well. And that's exactly right. And, and one of the criticisms, which I think is a bit uh, false in my opinion at times, of, of use of supplements, and again, they should be used where, where they're going to be a benefit to people, is the criticism is, oh, well, you know, you'll just have expensive urine. Well, if the body has enough that it can get rid of a little bit, I'm not sure that's necessarily a problem. It's saying the body does have a little bit of spare capacity. And if we knew exactly what is the right amount for each person each day? Maybe we could fine tune it. But, you know, guess what? We don't. So um, there's nothing particularly harmful with pretty much all the vitamins with a couple of exceptions. You can overdose on vitamin A, uh, potentially on D, E and K. You, you have to go a bit out of your way to do it. But that's, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, it is technically possible. Um, but, you know, a little bit more that the body says, all right, well, we can let a little bit go. I'm not sure that's the biggest health problem we're facing in, uh, in today's society. Oh, I agree. When it comes to health and well-being and the use of supplements and nutrient intake and so forth, I'd rather have more than less at the end of the day. So on that note, my next question is, of course, when it comes to nutritional support, what evidence is there? that supports nutrients for overall improvements in health and well-being? Look, we know the body has a whole host of requirements. It's a very, very complicated uh, machine. Mm -hmm. And to get back to the car analogy, you know, a car needs the right sort of fuel. It needs the right sort of coolant. It needs air in the tyres. There's a whole range of different things required to make the car run optimally. It's not just one component. So we need vitamins and minerals. They're called essential because the body cannot manufacture or produce it itself. Right. We can't make it. We have to take it in. Same as there are some essential fatty acids and some essential amino acids which make the building blocks of, of protein. So the body does need, does need them for, for functioning. And so to that extent... In an ideal world, look, maybe everybody would be on a fantastic diet and eating all the right foods and maybe the soils would, would have enough nutrient in it and, you know, everything would be fine. We'd all be living in a garden of, of Eden. Wouldn't it be lovely? But, you know, realistically, it just isn't necessarily the, the case. And therefore, if we're not getting enough nutrients from our diet, and this is, again, for each individual to look at their own circumstances and, and you know, discuss it with their, uh, with their practitioner, then the role of a supplement is not to replace good diet or to say, oh, okay, I can eat whatever crap I want because I'll just you know, pop a few vitamins. No, it's about saying I can put in some additional nutrients into my system because what I'm eating from my diet may not quite be giving me what is required for optimal function. And what a person might need is, is going to be a function of where they're, where they're at, what the demands are. For example, if you started um, training much harder in, in sports, you may need different supplements to, to somebody who's in their 60s or 70s who's um, not doing so much training in wintertime if you're a bit prone to, to colds and viruses and you might think, well, is there something I can do that may help? And I again want to emphasize 
got a force field, but may help my immune system, then that might be different to what you would take in summer. So it's very, very much there's this concept of supplements as this catch-all, one-size-fits-all, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. It really is about finding best what is most useful for you in your circumstances your circumstances today might not be the same as they were six months ago and they might not be the same again in six or 12 months time and that role of supplementation and you mentioned before as an example iron for example i think it's ideal when in terms of a supplementation you can combine the benefits of not just the iron and i might add to that a good well-absorbed form of iron but adding to that a good quality b12 and a good quality folic acid for example like an activated folic acid for example could make that particular supplementation ideal for an individual to be able to consume and to not only utilize the iron but to also make sure that the red blood cells for example are supported through the folic acid and the b12 uh, for example so that's the the beautiful thing about supplementation where you know if an individual just will not for example eat their veggies or they won't have that piece of fish for their omega-3 fatty acids or they won't go for the extra protein or if they're vegan and not getting enough protein so therefore not getting their essential amino acids then therefore appropriate supplementation can and i believe uh, it is crucial in the role of that overall health and well-being Look, you're very right in uh, in what you say, Victor. And a little bit like a house, if you're building a house and you just get bricks, but you don't get any mortar and you don't get the components to the mortar and you don't get tiles and you don't get taps. It sounds a bit silly, but you need all of those components to make a house. So a single supplement is going to have a role. And there may be times when really there is just one that you you need, that, that will you know that will be the case. But often it is the fact that they do all work in concert together and getting the right combinations. Um, and once more, that is about what's best for the individual in their circumstances, which is where uh, you know, discussing this with a, with a practitioner is, uh, is the best way to go. So, Dr. Joe, what should Australians prioritise when it comes to diet? Yeah, look, there's 25 million people in Australia, and I'm not sure there is ever going to be, and neither should there be a, a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. That said, a couple of key points. I always sort of recommend people to eat whole, W-H-O-L-E, foods. So foods basically that our ancestors ate, foods that until not that long ago were growing somewhere or perhaps moving or running around. So essentially try to eat less boxed and packaged foods, uh, less refined carbohydrates in particular. It doesn't mean you can't have any of them, but less of those. Uh, and more foods that probably don't come out of boxes and, and don't have labels. So a simple way to think about it is when you go to the supermarket, shop mainly around the, the perimeter. That's where you find the fresh sections. That's where you find the meat, fish and, uh, and dairy sections. And obviously if people are sensitive to or not wanting to eat dairy, there are alternatives for that. But keep it fairly simple. Um, I think if we can really focus on that, on real foods, foods that, uh, as Jamie Oliver used the term, real food, is ingredients rather than having ingredients, um, you know, that simple principle will stand you in pretty good stead. And that's the other concern too, Dr. Joe, that some of these processed ingredients that are in our foods, particularly these packaged foods, they potentially could be doing more harm than good as well, maybe even contributing to the ill health um, that society is suffering from at the moment. So again, that's a that's a potentially major concern. So it's all about going back to basics eating that apple, eating that orange, having the piece of fish, 
enjoying a, a dose of extra virgin olive oil with your salads, for example, just getting those nutrients back in. And I guess our patients would be more than amazed as to how these simple changes or simple additions to our diet can make such a uh, such a massive difference. So I'm just pleased that you as a, an integrative GP or as a, as a practitioner in general is advocating and recommending the addition of simple foods to our diet, whole foods, and as you said, real foods. So it's, it's great and refreshing that that's being mentioned. So we touched upon stress, and unfortunately, stress is one of our biggest health challenges in the, uh, of the 21st century. So I'd love for you, Dr. Joe, to take us through the concept of stress and how it can impact our health. And as an uh, integrated GP, what is your approach to treating stress? Stress can come in many ways and, and forms, and we spoke before about the fight or flight mechanism, which is essentially the body's way of dealing with threats. Stress is essentially comes about when in some way, shape or form, we do feel threatened. Now, today, it's not likely to be a, a predator or an enemy, uh, you know, brandishing a, a knife or an arrow. It can still be, but uh, that's generally not it. They're more, you know, financial stresses, work stress, family stress. Um, you know, I think everybody will relate to, to some or or other of those. And the body does respond the same way. So it releases hormones like adrenaline and cortisol, which are our stress hormones. And that's fantastic if we're about to go into a, a battle or if we're going to run away. But if we're trying to figure out how to uh, you know, cover our expenses next month or if we're trying to deal with the, you know, problems in the family, it probably doesn't help us quite so much. So these hormones can be also a little bit pro-inflammatory, and we spoke about the role of, of inflammation before. So stress essentially short-term can be helpful, and a little bit of stress can get us out of bed in the morning, so it's not all bad. But too much for too long is going to be a problem, and we know that stress is a contributing factor to a number of conditions. It's not generally the single cause of any one, but we know that a lot of mental health problems can be related to stress, and that can include depression. Indeed. Anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. We know that that heart disease, high blood pressure, uh, can have a have a stress component. Um, the next thing, and there is a longer list. The next thing then becomes, well, all right, what can we do to try and offset and circumvent that? And we've spoken a little bit about dietary change can be part of that. Getting enough sleep and making sleep a priority is is important. Exercise is a very very good form of stress management because mm-hmm. it is physical movement. So even mm-hmm. though it's not you know, fighting the enemy, it's still physical movement. So it disperses um, some of those stress hormones. And then there are a raft of other things, including meditation, yoga, tai chi, pilates, guided relaxation, walking in nature, um, listening to music. There's a whole host of things that people can do that are relaxing for them that are stress management. Even just taking three slow, deep breaths in can be, uh, you know, can be useful. And, you know, for some people, some, you know, there are some herbal formulations that can be of assistance with stress management as, uh, as well. So there's a number of different ways that people can, uh, can approach it. Nothing beats uh, relieving stress by taking it out on a punching bag or a boxing bag uh, of an afternoon, followed by a nice gentle walk afterwards to recover. So I guess <laughs> there you do cover a few bases with exercises there, but at the same time, you're, 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 um, you're relieving that stress. So, no, it's important that we do address stress as it is such an underlying, it can be an underlying um, issue for so many health concerns. Dr. Joe, I've had the pleasure of reading your book titled Dr. Joe's DIY Health, where you've addressed actions that we can take, which you refer to as pillars, 
that can contribute to good overall health and physical and mental well-being. And some of these topics that we've covered today during our podcast conversation, such as nutrients from our foods and supplements, also the importance of stress, sleep and relaxation. So apart from what's already been discussed, what other actions would you suggest that our audience could consider when taking the all-important steps towards optimal well-being? Yeah, look, in addition to those ones, getting enough water to drink um, so that we're not even slightly dehydrated. And I suppose that comes a little bit under nutrition, but is slightly separate. Uh, we spoke about exercise is important. Part of that is getting outdoors. So being active outdoors, and that can be as simple as a as a walk in the, in the park. It doesn't have to be uh, strenuous because we know that a little bit of sunshine makes us feel better. It can lift our mood and a little bit of vitamin D is also very helpful from the, uh, from the sun. Um, relationships are important and a lot of people do describe stress from relationships and so tending your relationships spending time with the people that you want to spend time with you know, family and friends and sometimes you know, if you're around people who really don't make you feel good or who you don't get on with and look at work it's not always possible to completely detach yourself but you know, as far as you can try to not associate with people who you find may tend to bring you down so tending good relationships and the other point that I feel is important is fun and purpose. Now, Martin Seligman, um, an American psychologist, talk about authentic happiness as being fun, challenge and purpose. So I think for all of us, we, if we're going to be healthy and looking after ourselves, it's so that we can do the things that we want to do and enjoy doing. You know, I think a lot of us would like sitting by the beach or just, you know, relaxing and doing nothing, but eventually that will become boring. So we want to be doing things that make a difference. Now, it doesn't have to be changing the whole world. It can be volunteer work. It can be looking after your family. It can be the job you do day to day. It, you know, it doesn't have to be earth shattering. But, you know, doing, doing activities or doing things that, that make a difference in the lives of, uh, of others and in turn yourself. So I think some purpose and enjoying what you do is, is also very, very important. We know people, um, when they are doing that, will generally report better levels of, uh, of mental health and well-being. It's been interesting to hear about the important role that a lot of these lifestyle factors play, in particular nutrients and exercise, stress, sense of purpose or relieving stress, I should say, and all of these areas in playing an important role when it comes to improving our overall health and well-being. So before we finish today, Dr. Joe, is there anything else you want to add or any, any sort of um, comments you want to add to uh, for, for this afternoon? I think the key thing is that there's never just a one thing to do for, for health. And, um, you know, we, we spoke about uh, you know, good nutrition, about exercise, about stress management, sleep, um, some of the other factors as well, that each of those is important. And people say, well, is one more important than the other? They're all important. So I think when, when people are looking at health, we don't want to be too tunnel vision and say, oh, look, if, I just, if I eat well, nothing else matters. Or if I'm exercising, nothing else matters a whole range of things that do matter and they're all important. Now, we can't always tick every box every day and obviously we don't want to be stressing about that. But over the course of you know the weeks and months, if we can just be making sure that we're focusing a little bit on each area 
without overdoing it in any one and not beating ourselves up if you know we have an ice cream sometimes or have a treat at times <laughs> or we didn't go running yesterday you know we don't want to beat ourselves up uh, we just want to be making what we do want to be doing is, is having that and it's a bit of a buzzword that balance that says I'm thinking about all these aspects of my health um, and I'm paying some attention to all of them without going over the top on any one of them. Oh wonderful words of wisdom there Dr Joe and look it's been an absolute pleasure um, to have you join me today on Expert Voice and I do thank you so much for your time and and for the wonderful points of advice for our listeners. Victor it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today We'd appreciate you jumping onto iTunes to provide us with a rating and a review. If you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us via the Eagle Natural Health website, which is www.eaglenaturalhealth.com.au in the Contact Us section. I'm Victor Tabala. Thanks for listening.